0: I'm in Rocky Point, Mexico with my family, and we're staying in a hotel. It's about midnight, and my wife nudges me and pushes me and says, babe, someone's knocking at the door. We weren't expecting anybody at the time, and so I stumble out of bed, and I walk to the door, and I look through the hole, and I see that there's a man on the other side, but I don't recognize him. So you need to know some of the details about the situation. Uh, My wife, my son, and my daughter were in the room with us. I don't have any weapons uh, to protect us. I don't speak Spanish. I actually don't even know how to call 911 in Spanish, which as it turns out is 911 for your future reference. (laughs) And I have a decision to make in this real brief moment, and so, Uh, You're gonna judge me, and I'm okay with that because I had to make a decision. And so I decided I am going to open the door. So I do just that. I open the door, and as I do that, a guy rushes in and pushes past me, and I push him back as hard as I can. And then we have this moment where he looks at me, and I look at him. I'm in my boxers he's fully clothed, and he realizes in that moment that he knocked on the door that he thought his friend was behind, and it was the wrong door. Would have been another flight up or down or something, and in that quick second, realized that he owed me an apology, and so he said he's sorry, and I accepted, and I said, I'm sorry, because I thought I was gonna push him over the rail, all five foot eight of me, and I then said goodbye to my new friend. I shut the door, tried to slow down my heart rate, and move on with the night. I wanna talk with you about the next generation, and there is an intruder that is pushing his way into the lives of our sons and our daughters, and I don't think I need to convince anybody of that. I think you can just look around and see what's going on in our world and feel the weight of what's happening and there's a battle going on. Furthermore, I think that for most of us, we feel the weight of it, but at the same time, we feel a little helpless as to what we're to do. Like, how do we engage in this problem? What do we do? And I wanna talk with you this weekend about this next generation because I believe that many of us, we have desire for change and we want more for our kids, we want more for our future, for the generations. We just don't know what to do. And I want to talk to you this weekend about how we can come alongside of the next generation as they fight for their faith. There's a letter written to a a group of Christians and uh, these Christians are in a very progressive city. It's a large city, and it's dark and it's godless. And they're receiving this letter because for so many of them they're having a hard time like, following through with their belief and so many influences are pushing against them and so they're not sure how to be Christian in this environment. And so a letter was given to them by uh, a very noteworthy man. It's a guy that wrote two thirds of uh, the New Testament. Most prolific writer that we have is Paul. Paul's in prison at the time. He's in prison because of Jesus and because of his faith. And so he's writing this letter, this punchy, like, powerful letter to this group of believers, kind of giving them some encouragement and some inspiration as to how they're gonna live their lives. And so this is not a normal letter. This has urgency behind it. This has, like, importance and significance behind it. You would, if you could, if you could be in the moment, I think we'd hear passion behind these words. And he's describing a battle going on in their city and the battle's still going on. Last chapter of this uh, letter called Ephesians, chapter six. He describes this, this battle and he says that it's not a physical one, it's a spiritual war. And you fight a spiritual war with spiritual weapons. Goes on to describe the types of weaponry we use as we face these wars in life. I want to zoom in on one specific line in the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter four, verse one. And uh, he's writing from prison, and so he he gives this greeting. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I beg you, I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. I beg you, I plead with you, live a life that's worthy of the calling to which you You've been called. Now, when you hear the word calling, as sometimes I think the same thing when I hear that word, I think about like occupational calling. there's There's a job assigned to that, that God's given me this specific role in life and I get paid to do that and that's my calling or I have a passion that God's given me and that's what he means by calling. But most of the time in the New Testament, that's not the case. What he's describing with calling is how we live out our faith how we embody the character of Jesus within us. That is the calling he's describing. And he uses two different words, that's why you kinda see some redundancy there. It's one is a noun, one's a verb. He's saying this is, this is your calling and your call to this. This is who you are and what you do. What is that calling? He says it in the previous line. He says, live a worthy life. Our calling, if we're believers, if we're Christ followers, our job description is to live a worthy life, which begs the question, what does that mean? What is he talking about? He's talking about living a faithful life following after Jesus. That's what it means to live a worthy life, to love God and love others. We stylize that around here as Christ-centered difference makers. You might have heard that. We, We talk about that a lot. That's another way of saying we love God and we love others and we're just trying to follow Jesus and we're trying to live this worthy life. But just before that, he uses an interesting word. We just read it and it says, I beg you. Maybe some energy behind that, maybe some passion behind it, but it's more than that. It's more significant than that. That word, uh, I I beg, is actually a word that means to come alongside of and to partner with the worthy life. So see this worthy life, you're to come and associate with that and, and stay committed to that worthy life. And what's interesting is that word is in the same family as the word we get for Holy Spirit. So he's using Holy Spirit language here. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, supports us, uh, guides us, comforts us. So he, he means more than just, hey, this would be a good idea to do this. He's imploring us to live a worthy life and he's saying I want you to come alongside of this. And I want you to know that you are a part of a church that is striving to come alongside of uh, the next generation, our sons and our daughters, to come alongside of parents as we raise our kids in really cool and unique ways. If you were to pop into any one of our rooms, you'd see that we have over 10,000 kids and students on all of our campuses, which is uh, really incredible. We have over 2,000 volunteers that invest their time every single weekend walking alongside of exemplifying and serving and loving our kids and our students. And why are they doing that? They're doing that to model and to be a part of showing them how to live this worthy life. They're doing that uh, repeatedly. If you were to add up all of the hours that are poured into the next generation every year, be over 100,000 hours worth of time, which is unbelievable. But it's beyond what we do in our programs, it's more than that. We've got a sports program we called STARS. This is not just for kids to play sports. There's other places where they can play sports. This is a place where they can start living out and have coaches that also model for them the worthy life, a life of faithfulness, because it's more than a game for us. This summer was like monumental. We had camp and we have camp most summers except for 2020. And this was a a powerful, powerful summer. We had over 10,900 that went to camp and just an unbelievable experience. But what's cool about that is out of that number, there's over 1,300 kids and students that decided to follow Jesus for the very first time. So killer. You know, you see this door uh, beside me and one of the things we did at our junior high and high school camp is we invited students to come and walk through the door when they're ready to follow Jesus and put their, their life in his hands. And so we saw a lot of kids. In fact, we saw 380 uh, so far get baptized since camp. And this is like five or six weeks. We're proud of this church. And what we're doing with mom and dad, uh, we're, we're trying to help. We're trying to partner with you and we're coming alongside of you, as the word says, in helping the next generation live a worthy life. But I wanna talk to you specifically. I wanna talk with you about you because some of you are thinking that's cool, I don't know what I should be doing. Like I see the church, there's these things, but what about, what about us as individuals? What about us as parents? What should we be doing? And it's the same thing, it's it's to be coming alongside of, but this is what I want you to hear, is how we fight. How we fight alongside of the next generation is with our faithfulness. It's by living that worthy life, that's what we do. What does it look like? Well, when we fight, what do fighters do? Fighters pray. We pray for our, our kids, we pray with our kids, we pray over our kids, we fill our house with prayer, that's what a fighter does. Fighter leans on and, and lives out this truth. For some of you, um, I'm kinda this way too, I, I read a lot of my Bible through an app, it's online. But do our kids know what our Bible looks like? Like would they be able to identify where our Bible is? Some of us need to like knock the dust off that thing and put it on the nightstand so that it's visible again so that the next generation can see that it's important. It's beyond important, it's critical, it's our North Star. It's what we're leaning on. What does it mean to be a fighter? We serve. We serve in this church, we serve in our communities because we're trying to to be an example to the next generation and show them what it means. Plus, besides that, it's about us too. It's about us following and being faithful to Jesus regardless of who's around. But it's important for the next generation to see that in us and be a part of that. We do follow through well. That's what a fighter does. Fighter follows through what they say and do, they match because here's the problem. What ends up happening is when they see, when anybody sees discrepancies between like what someone thinks or believes and what they do, it starts to discredit that. And so when we see somebody that thinks they believe but then their actions don't back that up, it starts to diminish their value and their impact. Some of you, and I know you're wondering right now, like, I don't, know if I, can, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can, that seems a little unrealistic for me, you don't know my story, you don't know the way that I've, I've been raised, you don't know what I've done in raising kids. I want you to hear a story from a guy that was probably thinking about the same things and would have the same responses when it came, when it comes to living and living out this faithful life. His name's Ryan. Check out his story. Um before my dad found Jesus, he was not a very happy guy. <laughs> he was very angry all the time. I wouldn't like look forward to coming over here because my dad was not like happy.
1: My mom and my grandparents raised me. My parents split up at a young age. My mom suffered from multiple addictions like over our childhood. All I had to ever rely on was myself. I never wanted to give too much to anyone because I knew it would be tough if they let me down. So I knew I was the only one I could trust. In my mid-twenties and thirties, I lived for the ways of this world. Like, I've, I filled my life with everything I thought was important. It was chasing jobs, it was chasing money, it was what I owned, like, what I bought. My identity was in shoes, it was in cars, it was trucks. It was everything that didn't matter. The first 10 years of my kids' lives, I, I was busy working. Like, I figured if they had everything they wanted, I was a good dad. I missed many first steps, first days of school, plays, all of that stuff, because I thought money and status was more important at that point. At the age of 39, my ex-wife invited me to a CCV Jumpstart class with our daughters. And walking onto campus, I just thought to myself, like, man, I do not belong here. Like, I'm being judged these people know that I'm not good enough to be here. And walking into the students' building at Peoria, one of the pastors on staff walked up and the four words he said to me changed my life. He said, we're glad you're here. Nobody had ever said we're glad I was anywhere. Walking out with my wife, I said, why don't we give church a try? And this was like a July. So we decided we would go through December. And by week two, we had jumped into a small group. By the grace of God, the people in that small group were the exact people that God knew I needed. These people took me under their wing. They mentored me. They showed me what it was to be a Christ follower and a better father. And every week I could feel the heart change in myself, like the heart of stone that I had lived with for so long had been removed and replaced with a heart of flesh. Six months passed and i had always wanted to be able to pour into high school students. And I got the opportunity to join CCV students in the high school ministry. I was a high school coach for two, two and a half years, I had a group of dudes that I poured into and then all of a sudden I was challenged to join a residency to, to go into full-time ministry. So I walked away from a career, a great paying job, a set schedule to follow and be obedient to Christ. He was calling me to be able to pour into you guys. Like I would have never expected four years ago that I would be standing here speaking to any of you. If you would have asked me, I would have told you, you're crazy. The stuff I've learned, the the things I've been allowed to do are absolutely incredible and life-changing for myself and for my family. I've seen my daughters get baptized. I've seen my relationship with them change. And after finding Jesus and and this heart change, I know that dating my daughters is important. Taking them out, having one-on-one time, spending that intentional time with them, and just getting to, to know them again before somebody asked me like what was the greatest failure of my life and i said the first 10 years of my daughter's lives because i was present but i wasn't there i would i would play i would hang out i would do what they wanted if it was convenient for me like now i have the opportunity to be a father be present and actually show them the man that they should be looking for when they're getting married I think my dad being so passionate about Jesus and like pouring it into all of us has made everyone just like so much closer as a family and always knowing that Jesus is there for us. From following my dad, my faith has grown. I used to not go to church. I was scared of it and I was nervous. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't think I belonged there. But seeing my dad, knowing about his past and seeing him go constantly and seeing that you can change and that God and Jesus accepts whoever with whatever has happened in your life. As long as you ask for forgiveness, it has helped me and shown me that I can also follow him and go to church and become a better person. I mean, it actually fills my cup to know that that I've had a positive impact on their lives, to hear that that I have been a good role model, that I have done things somewhat right. Because you never know as a parent, sometimes you beat yourself up thinking, man, am, am I doing anything right? And to hear those words and to know that that they do now want that relationship and they, they crave that relationship and, and knowing that they have that relationship now is is awesome. I love every second of it.
0: I want you to hear this. That faithfulness does not mean flawlessness. Some of you are beating yourself up and you're like, man, I'd, I could never get there and I can never be that. Let me encourage you. It's about starting every day new. We get mercies that are new every morning. You can start tomorrow. You can start today. When you find yourself, Fallen off of where you were heading, you can get back on again, and you keep doing that. Keep striving for faithfulness. You know, I know there's, there's some of you moms in here, and you are driven by guilt. You wish you could change a million things about the way that you've parented, or the, what's going on with your kids, and I want you to know, don't be guided by guilt. Continue to, to remain faithful and preach hope into your household. They need you. Some of you dads are discouraged because you don't feel like you have any influence in the lives of your kids. And maybe that's true for some reasons, but you can start again. You can begin to build that up again. Stay engaged. You, you might feel like, especially if you have teenagers, you're like, my kids don't wanna hear from me. I get it, I got those too. Stay engaged, they need to hear from you. They need you and they need your faithfulness. What's at stake? What's at stake? It's a generation. A generation is at stake. Whether you know this or not, someone is watching the way that you live your life and deciding what they're gonna do with Jesus. Your kids, your grandkids, nieces, nephews, cousins, the weird kid down the street. Everybody's got a weird kid down the street. And they're watching the way that we live our lives. What are you gonna do with your life? What are you gonna do with your faith? Someone's gonna make a decision to follow after Jesus and maybe even walk through the door in part because of the way that you follow Jesus. Guys, let's keep fighting. Let's be a church that fights for the next generation with our faithfulness.